filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. In the second half uh, against Dallas on Saturday, uh, my wife and four-year-old daughter were, were talking, and uh, it, the game was still scoreless at this point, and uh, my daughter asked if DC had scored yet, and there was the, the goal early in the game that got taken off, so I understand her confusion, and, and my wife said, no, no, they haven't scored yet, and so my daughter holds up her hand in the shape of a nose, says, we have this many. And then she holds up all the fingers on one hand and a one finger on the other hand and said, we want this many because six goals so, would be good. She had so internalized the, the chanting at the end of the Montreal game. We, <laughs> want six, we want six that she was just ready to go straight for it. And okay. that is what that is. The goal now is to score six. And I am I mean, for it. I am. Pro that sounds great. That. <laughs> Yeah, let, let's score six every game. I'm I'm with you. Seems like a good plan. All right, there it is. We we just solved soccer. Mm-hmm. Score six goals every game. Yeah, um, it reminds me of a theory I heard once about why Michael Jordan um, isn't necessarily it, it's less less affects less his role as a GM, which didn't really go well, and more the reason why he would have been a terrible coach, um, and, and it's because. For, for some players who are super great, they just go out there and win. And it's hard to convey that message to, to players. Just go out there and win. Which, actually, that might apply to Jurgen Klinsmann. Go out there and win. That's how you win. You just go um, Adam, we have to start, start the podcast over because you've now cursed it by mentioning uh, <laughs> JK's name. So uh, we're, we're just going to have to... just burn this recording, burn all of our computers, all of our microphones, and just never have a podcast again, actually. You've just ended the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is (laughs) Filibuster, the DC United, or the Black and Red United, and uh, no longer of this world podcast. You're listening to it in At least it's appropriate for October. Yeah, it's a ghost podcast. It's a very spooky afterlife episode of of filibuster disembodied voices coming to your ears that is my bad impression of a theremin you're welcome that was a better impression of a theremin ben good work (laughs) thank you for that thank you you're welcome this week we are talking about DC United's one nothing win over FC Dallas. Unfortunately, DC didn't get to six, but they got one, and that's all they needed. We're also going to preview the upcoming visit from Toronto FC, the defending champions of near everything, including missing the playoffs. Uh, that game will be Wednesday night at Audi Field. If you can't make it, watch it on ESPN Plus and the local Sinclair station of your market. Uh, before we do anything, though, Jason. What are you drinking? 
Uh, I went back to one I, I was using a lot, uh, or maybe earlier this year, maybe even last year. Um, it's the Oaxacan Old Fashioned. So you've got a, this time I've got a Patron Añejo uh, Barrel Select um, from the Bay Ridge Liquor Store in Annapolis. Um, you go, I, I think it's three parts of that, one part uh, mezcal. Um, you sweeten it instead of simple syrup or sugar, you sweeten it with agave. Um, a little dash of bitters. There's a Mexican bitter that I can't remember the full name of right now. So I'm not going to try and pronounce it um, that I don't have. So I just use Angostura, which is apparently the second best option. You give it a little twist of an orange peel if you've got an orange peel um, and you've got yourself a good drink. Throwing a hand bone, you got a soup going. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, I was running late and so I just poured a glass of Rye whiskey, uh, 1-8 distilling district made rye. It is good rye, and I am drinking it. Ben? Uh, I am going uh, semi-seasonal with a beer. I have Legend uh, Richmond's Legend Brewing Company, the oldest currently extant brewing company in Richmond. I have their Oktoberfest. I like a good Oktoberfest. They're nice and light and malty and delicious, and this is a pretty good one. Excellent. Um, shall I, we talk? I, would be, I would be perfectly happy if Oktoberfest beers were available the entire year long. Yeah, me too. I, um, they're a little too malty for me when it's really hot out, but the rest of the year, yeah. I think it, given that we do, we, we start our like high gravity pumpkin beers in like August 1st now. Um, yeah. And also, like, if Oktoberfest, if, 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 IPAs are available all year long. Why can't Oktoberfest be available all year long? I mean, IPAs were never a seasonal beer. Oktoberfest are made for... Right. I don't care. A, a specific there are too many IPAs. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, we we got some mean, space on the shelf, is what I'm saying. We can, we can I, drop... I, I, need, I need more multi-beers, so if we drop one of the 15 IPAs for an Oktoberfest all year long, then yeah. I am excited. The brewery that's opening, not... 500 yards from my front door uh, is going to have lots of interesting uh, beers. Yes, some IPAs, some West Coast IPAs, mm-hmm. which are East Coast are, IPAs all day. Yeah, I mean, West Coast IPAs are a little bit out of fashion right now, so it's like kind of hipster of them to to do that. But also some sours and saisons and uh, interesting mixes of of styles. Um, in the kind of like a steam beer where you use ale yeast, but or lager yeast, but ale temperatures, um, similar kind of mixes and matches and bastardizations of styles, which I'm all about. Um, so I'm excited for them to open and I'm sure I will be buzz marketing the crap out of them once they do open. But for now, let's talk soccer. After the longest half season in team history, it seemed like after a new stadium opened, after a global icon joined the team, after a returning homegrown and a Fittigan defensive midfielder took the field, DC United at long last are above the red line. They are in the playoff positions. Uh, it was a one nothing win over FC Dallas, the leaders in the Western Conference that, that did the trick at this point that actually pushed them above the red line, at least for now, Russell Knauss scored the game winning goal, the game's only goal. Um, 
ensuring all three points. It was a late goal for for Knaus, uh, and and it is pronounced Knaus, no matter what the English language announcer was saying on television. It is not Knaus. Oh. Um, Do you think anyway, those guys listen to this podcast, Adam? I don't, but I think I people gotta, who watch the think, game might have been confused, yes. and I wanted to I help think them. That- that those guys don't watch or consume any MLS material until they are forced to sit down and call a game. I think it's their only interaction with the league. I mean, if that's what it takes to, to call soccer games, I will happily call, you know, USL games on that standard. I mean, maybe Sebi Salazar can get it over to them. Who knows? Well, he works for ESPN. He, he's not going to do work for, but he's he's the closest person in the media that we have who's a prob- who That's true. Is probably a listener. Maybe a listener. He's the guy who would, well, at the very least, he's the guy who would take our call. <laughs> yeah. Who would answer our text or our DM. <laughs> um, regardless, the pronunciation of Russell Knauss is less important at this moment than the fact that DC United won. They pushed above Montreal into the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference. Ben, how you feeling? I'm feeling great. I mean, yeah, they're over the red line that should be red on MLS Soccer's standings table for the first time this season. So I have no reason not to feel good. They they beat the top team in the West. This wasn't a gimme game by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, yeah, it feels great. Um, I had one more thing to say, but it just got lost to the vagaries of space and time. So if I think of it again i'll jump back in with it that's good radio right there ben good yeah nah. you're welcome <laughs> that and the theremin man we're on fire <laughs> both teams in in this game were missing players dc united had um some guys gone for international duty obviously paul Ariola um lost his father last week and was with his family out in california for that in our thoughts and our condolences are with the Ariola family and and their loved ones um, because no one should lose a parent that young. Um, but tactically in this, this game, both teams seem to do a good job of taking away the, the main Avenue of attack that the other was looking for. DC United had trouble finding that, that Rooney Lucho combination in dangerous spots in the box. Uh, and, and FC Dallas got a few chances on the break, but they were pretty much limited to shooting from wide angles or outside of the box. Jason, what, what cut your eye tactically in, in, in this one? Um, I mean, I think DC had to deal with maybe a, a slightly different version of a slightly better version of, um, what Montreal brought to the table. Um, they dealt with it a little differently. Remember, um, DC's, own own words on on that Montreal game where that they dropped off um and gave let Montreal play with the ball for a while and made them deal with it and then it turned out Montreal was like oh good the ball um and they had to go back to normal at, after halftime um in this game DC didn't drop off and give Dallas the ball um Dallas kind of threw their own curveball by having Michael Barrios as their starting forward um though that changed a couple times throughout the match um Definitely a surprise that they didn't start Dominique Bocci. They brought in uh, Lama instead, who has been ice cold for like two months now. Um, but it ended up being, it, it kind of ended up being the game we expected anyway, in that 
Dallas is really good on the attack and really solid at the back um, or counterattack, I should say, and solid at the back. Um, DC had uh, more of the ball for, for stretches of time, though this back half of the first half was maybe a little more uh, possession for Dallas. Um, in general, I think um, DC ended up with a real problem to solve because Dallas did a great job of making it hard for um, Yamil Assad and Zoltan Stieber to contribute. They said, you know, Rooney and Acosta are going to get their touches even in tight quarters. There's not, you know, they're too good for us to stop that completely. Uh, but we're going to make sure of it. It's just the two of them going up against the whole of the, the organized defense from Dallas, not one-on-one, not two-on-two, um, and not getting that help. So Stieber, Stieber and Assad were both, if you look at their, I, I, I think I, sent out the a tweet from the site account with their um, pass maps right as the second half started. And it was basically, you know, separate. Uh, there was a big channel down the middle uh, where nothing happened. And then Stieber's passes were all right of center. Assad's were all left of center. Um, and by cutting those guys out, they really slowed the attack down quite a bit. Um, DC's adjustment after, at least in my opinion, was mostly about um, – giving Assad some pointers on where he could find the ball, um, where the gaps were going to be because the, the normal gaps that he expected to be there just weren't popping up. Um, Schneeber to a, a lesser extent um, was also finding the ball a little bit more and, and maybe in better spots. But I think the big thing was getting Assad more engaged in the game. Um, and some of it too, it, it almost, it just looked like they maybe lit a fire under him a little bit because all of a sudden he came out um not fired up emotionally, but like looking to nutmeg uh, poor Ryan Hollingshead over and over again. Um, Though he was, was the- fired up emotionally too. Um, could like just after, at, at least by, by the time Russell Canal scored, um, Assad was the happiest player on the field when that goal happened. He was almost comically over the top excited. There's a video the team shared on Twitter. Um, kind of the opposite view from field level of Knaus's goal. And after it happens in the background, you see Assad run over to the substitutes and just hug them as if he scored and then run over and just drape on Knaus with a huge smile on his face for several seconds. And in between did a both arms in the air, jumping up high smile on his face celebration. Like an and then do the character. Yeah. And then he did two more of those. Yeah. <laughs> By the time the video's over, it was, amazing just watching how happy he was and like it was this goals are a release of emotion but for him it was just so overstated and wonderful (laughs) one it's crazy that uh canals missed the goal that was probably like a 0.8 or 0.9 expected goals and then actually scored the one that was probably like 0.2 or 0.1 expected goals i mean on the on the balance it averaged out but that header was. I feel like I could see Knaus like reacting, like, "Oh damn it! I I messed it up!" Right after he clanked the one off the crossbar for a brief second, and then just the release for everybody of him uh, jumping over uh, everybody, including uh, Jesse Gonzalez, to head in that ball, get it over the line, it was just a gigantic relief for everybody and. Uh, in black 
Yeah, he he definitely started to put his head in his hands and then just said, no, I don't have time to do that right now. I have to score the goal after all. Right. But but Jason, you were right. Yamil Assad was definitely a lot more plugged in in the second half. Yeah, and, and I think it, it comes down to him. Um, I, it seemed like there was an adjustment as far as him finding the ball maybe a little higher up and a little more narrow. Um, not by much. Not a not a big difference. Um, after the game, Ben Olsen said that he told the team to be uh, a little more patient and a little less direct, um, but but to be more aggressive. And so the idea is to, you know, push higher and be willing to take risks with the ball, but not necessarily risks that are playing over the top or, or playing in behind like every time. Um, and, and I think that that definitely brought DC's attack into the game. They were significantly more dangerous after halftime. Um, I also... I got to say, you know, the goal comes from a set piece. DC had a goal called back on a set piece. Um, They also came close on a couple other ones. This is a Dallas team that's one of the best set piece teams at both ends in the entire league. And if you had said before, the most worried about was Dallas scoring set piece goals and and that being how they got on the board. Um, Right. If you had said before the game that it was going to be decided one nothing off of not just a set piece goal, but a scramble inside a six yard box. Um, right. y- you would have assumed that Dallas was scoring that goal. It was, yeah, it was it, surprising to see the tables kind turn. of goal, but DC, uh, despite having that distinct size disadvantage, even, you know, even bringing Durkin in for Moreno, it doesn't really, it, you know, it adds one more tall player, tall ish player. Um, but like Dallas happens to bring Hollingshead in, he's six foot one. Um, and he's just like, oh yeah, we got another one. Don't worry about it. Um, so yeah, this, this shaped up to be a game where DC set piece play was going to be a worry and it's ended up being, uh, the game winning advantage. Um, so credit, uh, you know, you have to give credit to the team for improving their play in that department, uh, working on some things, obviously, um, the defensive side, some of it just comes down to pure execution. You know, you can have the best plan in the world and go in against a team like Dallas and still concede because, you know, Matt Hedges is a giant. Um, and that's, there's not much you can do about it. But DC did a really good job of not, you know, I mentioned this last week. You can't lose those set piece battles. You can, you can maybe fight them to a draw, but you can't lose them. And they did a lot of not losing them. Um, and when they did, find themselves in a couple of bad spots. It was Bill Hamid coming in traffic. And I think there's one in the first half where he caught the ball and was like completely cleaned out in the process, but caught it, held it, um, held it when he hit the ground and then actually uh, tried to release for a counter real quick. Um, so mm-hmm. as far as, you know, defending the 18, defending inside the box, I thought they did a, maybe the best job they've done all year. If you look at the Dallas shot chart, you know, they took 19 shots, but um there are four shots to the left of the box, but not really in the middle. They're they're inside the box, but not by much. There are two shots to the right. The only shot they had from a really promising position is Victor Rioa's shot that went that just barely missed going out for a uh, throw in. Um, that was the most pr- uh, promising shot position they took in the entire game. Uh, a bunch of their shots aren't even just outside the box. They're like 22, 23 yards out. Mm-hmm. So, DC just made the box a no-go zone, um, and it's huge to beat a team like Dallas. It's also in the playoffs. They're going to have to do that. For every game they win in the playoffs, that's going to have to be the case, um, unless they win some sort of 5-4 uh, Thunderdome game that that uh, 
causes all of us to lose our minds. Um, it's there's probably going to be um, a game or two where if they can defend the box like this, they're probably going to get a win home or away in, in a postseason game. And that's as much as the attack uh, upgrades have been huge. If they can succeed at the defensive end, then they're in business. So credit obviously to the center backs uh, and also to the defensive midfielders for shutting up shop in and around DC United's box like that. Um, I do want to, I think last week we talked about kind of how the idea of duels is super basic, but also potentially decisive in games. And it might've been in this one, DC United against a, a, a very big Dallas team won the aerial battle by, by a three to one margin. Um, DC United won 75% of the aerials, according to MLS's stats um, on, on their app, which is again, not what you would have expected coming into this game. Um, some of that may have been where the aerials were contested. DC United defending more of them with Steve Birnbaum and Frederick Beyond and, and Chris Durkin, as opposed to sending them forward. But it's still uh, a, a surprising number. Nonetheless, I would say. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think about the um, the lack of real chances from open play in this one and whether that's something to worry about. DC United's best chances did come from set pieces, as Jason was saying. And as encouraging as, as that is, if United can keep doing that, uh, because your, your open play attack isn't always going to be clicking. And in this game, it wasn't. And credit to Dallas for that. But I'm, I'm curious whether you guys are worried on DC United's side about that. Well, can I jump back to the defensive midfielders for a sec? Because I don't want to just walk by them. Oh, fine. I just want to give a little minute of praise to Chris Durkin because I feel like Chris Durkin was really good. And on the balance of the day, if you take out the goal, he was just as good, if not maybe a little better than Russell Knauss was. And I just want to give him some respect for that. He had a really good game and I was glad to see it. He did. Durkin also provides, um, I think, underrated height and battle and. That's not what I was going to say. I, I know, uh, but that's also what I'm saying. Cause I, that, that's what I saw. I, I feel like in a game, like y'all said, where Dallas was battling hard, I feel like Durkin uh, gave as much as was given, but yes, you were going to say something different. So please go ahead. Uh, yeah. He provides, I think an underrated skill on the ball. Dude's got some tricks um, mm-hmm. and, and he's, learning how to deploy them judiciously and, and has the confidence now to deploy them on the field at all. Um, the little, I, I, I've heard it called an Iniesta, a, a move where you basically cross it to your other foot and kick it forward in stride to yourself. Um, he, he, he's busted that out a couple of times at good moments and to good effect. And he's, you know, he's obviously skillful. He's always been able to find a pass, but his his game is becoming more complete, even um, with, with reduced minutes since Knauss has gotten healthy. And that's good uh, that he's still improving uh, because this is the age when he needs to improve and get minutes. And I, I could talk myself into circles, but. Um, and this was also the, the kind of team that previously Durkin would have been uh more of a liability against because of his defending on the turn mm-hmm. um but that's gotten better it's not where it needs to be but it's gotten better um 
And I think he was able to read this game uh, correctly. And if you go in and you look at the chalkboard, um, this will give you the good visual of where Durkin and Canals were playing. If you just highlight where their past successful passes were and, and unsuccessful, um, Durkin was very much right of center. Um, Canals was very much left of center. It was very much th- those two were going to cut the field in half and one was going to take one side, one was going to take the other. Um, and Durkin's, he's six, he didn't, he didn't have the passing accuracy that Canals had, but where he turned the ball over, it was always fairly high up the field for Durkin. And it was a lot of looking to put people in behind. It wasn't, um, these weren't casual giveaways. They were, let me see if I can set someone up for a goal. Um, and you know, you turn the ball over in that case, it's not that big of a deal. You were trying to do, do something good and you weren't risking very much. Um, so I think, um, this was a big test for a player like Durkin to play against a team that I thought Dallas played pretty well. Uh, I thought they showed a lot of intelligence. It seemed like a very thoughtful game from both teams. And the fact that Durkin was out there and wasn't having any problems in that department and wasn't really getting exposed on the turn means that he's seeing things earlier. Um, and that's, that's huge. And if he's able to play like that against a team like Dallas, then he can probably play like that against a team like Philadelphia or Columbus or NYCFC. Or as we're going to see on Wednesday, Toronto FC, even without their, uh, their usual midfield contingent, which we'll get into in the next segment. Uh, let's see any Ben. We, uh, last week we, we weren't particularly kind to Frederick Briant. I think, uh, for good reason. He hasn't, there have been moments when he hasn't uh, earned our confidence necessarily. Uh, I was worried in this game against the speed of, of FC Dallas, but another clean sheet against a counterattacking team. Uh, any any thoughts on Briant or Burnbaum, just either center back? Yeah, I think uh, Burnbaum was solid. He's been solid most of this year, and I think he's been a little underrated. Like, we haven't we probably haven't praised him quite as quite as much as we should have just because of the failings elsewhere on the defense. I think Briant was fine. Uh, he didn't, he doesn't deserve the grief that we gave him last week. Um, I think he'll be until Kofi Apari is healthy. He'll probably be the choice finishing out the rest of the year. And I think overall that's fine, but I think he also benefits from, uh, especially Joseph Mora on his side of the defense. Uh, he's completely. Uh, you've got that. I've got around. it backwards. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the defense in general benefits from Joseph Mora's improvement. Um, he's really, I, I can't say reinvented because that's not true, but he's really invented himself as a MLS player over, especially the second half of this year. So I think in, in the case of Mora, he, he still does what he's always done very well, which is those emergency interventions. And in a system where he's pushed up as much as he is, there's going to be those, he's going to have to sprint back and be able to make a tackle. And that's something that he's done well since, since he got here. Uh, His decision-making has become better. I think with the ball at his feet and that was an issue early on. And he he's exposed a little bit less in the 
I, I, I think he's he's better making the tackles f- further towards the the sideline. That's where he's really excelled. Those slide tackles to knock the ball out of bounds on a counter. When he's trying to mark a runner on the counter, that's where he struggled. And for whatever, it, it might be the two defensive midfielders. It might be some other rotational aspect. I'm not totally sure. But he's been put in that situation a lot less lately and that's a good thing for for dc united i i still want his decision making in the final third to be a little better but i i agree he's improved a lot it it looks like things have slowed down for him um yeah yeah it, it just looks like the the that what we saw early on was that classic thing where the the tempo of mls is very very frenetic and um not that the costa rican league doesn't have a lot of that too but maybe um, seeing it every single game because every MLS game is, is like that for the most part. Um, I think maybe that was a little shocking to him. And I, I'm guessing in all honesty that they were kind of looking for a way to, um, re- you know, reduce his role, but Vitas came over and Mora was just starting to pick his form up in the, in the week or so before that. And then Vitas picked up the injury. And so now Mora's never been dislodged. And he's the good news is that he's responding. He's taking advantage of that reprieve. Um, and I and, I think it was a reprieve. Oh, for sure. And even when he was signed, like, he was never supposed to be the starter. It was supposed to be Taylor Kemp, but Taylor Kemp never got healthy. Yeah, it was one of those, like, all right, Kemp isn't really healthy right now. And then once he gets healthy, we'll have the two of them competing. But, you know, right. the thought was probably like, well, Kemp will probably keep the keep it. Um, but uh, I feel like initially Kemp was supposed to be back by. Like when they signed him, Kemp was supposed to be back by like beginning of April, right? I don't remember a timeline. I just remember that the thought wasn't, we don't know when he's going to come back. It was more like, well, we we're not sure, but you know, it won't be that long. Yeah. Um, there, there, pro- there probably wasn't a specific timeline, but it wasn't like he's out for half a season, a whole season. Right. Did we ever get an answer to, to my question on um, the lack of open play scoring chances for DC nope. United? Sure. Didn't. Uh, I didn't think so. I can uh, I, I can tell you that at least for this game, I give a lot of the credit to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, and last week, I thought Chicago did a pretty good job of, of staying organized. Um, maybe this is a little touch of that fatigue from the fact that DC's just had to play more games lately than everyone else, um, as in they're playing Wednesday and then on the weekend again. Um whereas most teams in the league are getting got this last weekend off. So um, that's going to be part of it. The fact that these international window games take away several players that might've rotated in and gotten a start here and there to freshen up somebody else's legs. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, that's life in MLS. There's not really a good way to schedule around it as much as everyone yells at the league every year. It's, you know, the the solution would be like, well, let's expand the calendar of the world and time uh, to like 60 weeks and then we can do it and know everyone will be happy. But that's not how time works. Um, you can't yell at time and then you just get more. Uh, that's not how any anything works at all. Um, there's just, you know, there's not really a workaround. And, you know, this is, as we've said a thousand times, this has been a really weird year for DC United and that fatigue might be part of it. Um yeah, and especially with their schedule, they've got to play, and the way they dug themselves in a hole, they've got to play all of their 
first choice starters every week to try and dig back out of it. Yeah. And teams are starting to get more and more of a look at exactly what this team is up to. Um, you know, you take Ariola out of the equation in the attack. That also definitely is a factor. Um, shout out to, to Ben yelling about this previously, but, um, that is definitely the downside of him being unavailable. And before that playing right back against Chicago is that, um, that extra little burst out of the midfield isn't there anymore because, you know, Assad is, is very durable, but he's not necessarily the fastest guy. Um, no, and there was a, a through ball attempt slower. that, <laughs> yeah. Um, demonstrated, you that. know, Lucho isn't fast. Uh, Wayne Rooney has never been known for being fast. Um, so you don't have an attack that has that ability to, it's not about being fast over 40 yards. It's about being fast over 10 yards. Um, uh, I mean, speed, that speed to, to make those, I mean, what it, what it requires when you don't have it is everything has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's maybe why in the last couple of games, DC has had their good chances in the run of play dry up. It's been, that the degree of difficulty is that little bit higher because they don't have that one guy who is just going to beat his man by running faster than him. Um, because running faster than people, if you're fast is simple, it's easy. You just do it. You run fast. And then the other guy isn't as fast as you. And that's that. Um, but when you aren't fast and I'm speaking from life experience here, um, the, everything else becomes that much more important. You can't get anything else wrong because you're already giving up a big one by just being slow. Um, and that's kind of, that's the difficulty for DC, you know, with this group of players having to start games, you know, that Dallas back four is pretty athletic. Um, there's no, there's no one slow there. Um, the Dallas midfield is also other than Abel Aguilar, who, who doesn't really run very much. Um, the rest of that group, they aren't, they aren't slow by any means. Their, their front four Mm -hmm. is extremely fast. So, um, all over the field you're playing a team that is going to have that advantage over you. And this was kind of a game where I think Dallas knew it and they exploited it to a certain extent to make it harder for DC to get going. But um, I'm glad to see that this team is finding ways to get it done when the Rooney Acosta combo doesn't just hand them two or three goals. Um, When another team has figured out what to do and the group around can't necessarily free those two up. Um, how do you win the game at that point? And DC found a way to win the game and diversifying. Cause you know, there was a stretch there. Where it was just like, well, Wayne and Lucho will figure it out and that's how they'll win the game. Um, but that's not going like come playoff time. And because we're above that red line, we get to talk about playoffs now, um, at least for the time being as a, a hypothetical, um, they're going to have to win games based on, something other than well Wayne and Lucho will figure it out it has there has to be some other option there and they've two games in a row I mean yes Wayne scored both goals against Chicago but they weren't normal Wayne Rooney DC United goals the the one of them was him doing a classic goal poacher move it was more of a Luciano Emilio goal than a Wayne Rooney goal mm-hmm. um and j- just finding a diverse way to start winning games that that improvement on set pieces um that I mentioned earlier that might come into play as well that if this team can't win with their their top their easiest way to do it, then they've got to find another way. And right now they're doing it, which is is great to hear because otherwise we'd probably be saying, you know, we'd be looking at zero zero and saying, well, you know, DC is almost there, but they've still got no room for error now. Again, we'd be back in that you know that stress place of 
below the red line, but now everyone in Montreal gets to have that discussion in um, Quebecois French, and we get to sit here and have our uh, a discussion about being above the line for the first time in like, or I guess the second time in like two years. Yeah, suck it, Quebecois French. Our trash English is way better than your language. <laughs> that's what I'm hearing. Um, that's probably where we should end the segment, but I want to talk about uh, Zoltan Stieber, who came back into the lineup, uh, mm. been, been less used uh, in, in recent weeks with, with Ariola and Assad. Uh, on the wings i thought he looked a little bit rusty out there i thought his decision making was a little bit slower and and his touch was a little bit off i i kind of expect him to be better against toronto um both because i expect him to be out there because uh as we learned uh ulysses segura won't be back Ariola probably won't be back so Assad and stieber are really the only starting options out there uh but but i think with this 90 minutes under his belt, I expect him to kind of find his sea legs again against Toronto. And I wouldn't be surprised for a big performance from him. That's what I'm hoping for. Anyway, I talked myself into it. Uh, I hope so. I'm not, I, I have not talked myself into that, but I hope you're right. I just, I, I have this memory of him earlier in the year being United's best player on multiple occasions. And I yeah, know he's got sure. it in him. Uh, and, and the more reps he gets in games and in training with, Ariel and Lucho, uh, not Ariel, with Rooney and Lucho, um, and and finding a way to ingratiate himself with that combination. I think the better off he will be, and and it gives United another option that's familiar with them, and not just you know the the foreheads that are normally out there. You guys have anything else on this game you want to talk about before we uh, move along? Three points are good. Uh, the one, I, I will I will add, um, and we've talked about this a couple times now, and we've said it on the site, um, it was Noche Latina. Um, they did some things. Uh, there was a band uh, that came in, etc. But one thing they should absolutely keep is the Spanish-language stadium announcements. Yes, uh, I 100%. Think, um, it's just it's a, it's a thing that needs to be in place. If you take one look around the stands, if you open your ears for half a second, um, you're going to hear conversations in Spanish all the time. So why not have both languages in the stadium? I know we're saying we're spending someone else's money, but it seems like an important thing that has been, it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot, but it's something, um, yeah, but it's, it's also still, something that there was a part of D, the DC United experience yes. from like from the founding until just a few years ago at RFK. Um, there was always an English announcement and then a Spanish announcement and you, that went away at some point. Yeah. And, and if you want to be inclusive, this is yes. the thing you you have to do. It's not a it's not a nice option. It's a, it should be a must. It should be considered yeah. that. Um, and hopefully, because it was there, um, they had that announcer. I'm not. I don't I haven't met him. I don't know his name. I don't even know where the announcers actually sit in the stadium now. Um, but uh, they had that for the Olympia game. They had it for this one. I feel like it should be in place permanently. But it wasn't there for Chicago. So. I don't know, but I'd like to see something done on that part where it's a it's just a thing that's part of going to DC United games instead of it being like, oh, tonight only they'll have Spanish language announcements. Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing I noticed, I, I was sitting in different seats for, for this game than I usually do. We had uh, we used FAM, the f- fan allocation money, which is 
<sighs> awesomely clever name for store credit that DC United did for season ticket holders. Um, we we had missed enough games and traded in our tickets enough that we upgraded to club seats for for this game. And the club is very nice. The food is very nice. Uh, I get a little taste of what Jason eats in the press box because it's the same food they have in the club section. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, the same oh, menu. Okay. Um, the, I, I think the club section is a little bit expanded on it, but the the highlighted entrees are, are what you get. You guys are living large in the press box. You guys are doing well. It's been it's been pretty good. I'm not going to lie. The yeah, the yeah. press box food has been, in, at least in my opinion, has been no like the worst press meal has been like yeah, it's all right. Um, it's not it's, RFK, is what you're saying? Right. The the RFK um box sandwiches um from various sub makers in in the region. Um, or, you know, if you like this one kind of sub, then that's great for you. But otherwise you're like, uh, all right. I know it's complaining about free food. It's, it's very much a, um, ivory tower, uh, complaint, but, uh, yeah, they, they've, they've done, they've done some work up there. They did, they, they do run out of things, which is kind of weird. You have to get there earlier. You might, you might just be eating like a plate of rice, but you know, it's still, what are you going to do? It's a free plate of rice, right? Yeah, I will say the the club level, uh, or the the club itself, it, as nice as it is, the the lines like everywhere else in Audi Field are are pretty long, especially right before you want to go into the stadium. Um, and there's no announcement at the end of halftime. If you can't see a TV, you have no idea the game has started because they don't uh. have the sound on in there. You're just kind of, you're almost divorced from what's happening on the field. And mm-hmm. to my mind, that's a problem. We missed the start of the second half uh, until I, I checked my phone and saw a tweet that it was underway. Um, even though we were standing next to the doors to <laughs> the seating area. Um, we, we just had no idea because you can't hear you. There, there's no indication. So there, there's some tweaks that could be made for next year, but, but all in all uh, the club level is very nice and, I, I think the way Ryan Kiefer put it for something else, um, like uh, Ferris Bueller's friend's dad's Ferrari. If you have the means, I highly recommend it. <laughs> I do not have the means, <laughs> but <laughs> if I, I will spend your money on on the club section. Uh, other than that, only thought from the club section is the sun is bright on that side of the stadium, Jason. Uh, well, it's, it's not that bright when the kickoff times are later, uh, and I'm going to advocate for eight, 8 p.m. kickoff times forever. No, um, no. Everyone else that against. disagrees, everyone that disagrees Hard with me pass. is a criminal. Um, or has small children, dude. <laughs> I just can't you do an 8 p.m. Sunday. I need to, if it's going to be 8 p.m., it at least has to be Saturday. But I, I mean, all joking aside, um, you know, the later kickoffs when the sun has gone down, um, that that problem that Pablo Mauer reported was for a reason. And it was because of what we saw on uh, this weekend where Univision, for whatever reason, was like, we don't care. This is the window. You're, you're going to play the game, then just deal with it. And yeah. I know that, you know, Ben, I, I'm sure you saw the lens flare on the camera. I saw some some stills of that. Um yeah, yeah sure it was rough. Um, there were actually, uh, I believe Thomas Floyd was the first person to make a joke about possibly needing sunscreen in the press box. Um, and I don't think he was wrong. I think I actually did start to feel like a slight, um, the very, very slightest uh, suntan going on, on my face because of how sunny it was until about the 55th, 60th minute. 
Um, I watched the first half in sunglasses, which are not prescription, um, which meant a lot of like squinting and hoping to see that I figured out who someone was. Um, me and Steven were trying to go over like whose shoes, uh, we using shoes as a, uh, uh, signifier of who is who, but then Stieber and Assad are both wearing those salmon colored Adidas. Um, so it's like, all right, well, those that's not going to help. And then, uh, in the midfield, there's like two different guys wearing blue, and it's like, oh, this isn't going to work at all. Um, so yeah, there's a reason the games have been scheduled so late, and it's because it's hard to see when the sun sets right in your face. Um, yeah, this one was a combination of a sunset start time and also being late enough in the year that the sun has now moved south of the overhang uh, on the western stands. In the summer, right. you know, it sets behind the stands, so it actually disappears a little bit earlier, or it would if there was a backing on there, which I think there will be next year, but something happened in construction this year. But right. now and the sun is further south, so it just keeps... There, there's just more air for it to to come through, more space to see it. Uh, and games on Twitter suck. I do not like these games that are broadcast on Twitter. That's that's fair. I think this one was originally scheduled for 3 p.m., which would have been more reasonable. Um, and uh, like Jason said, Univision wanted it moved into their broadcast window, which was very rigid. Uh, I'm I'm completely for more daytime games late in the year when it's not stupid hot and humid in the daytime. Uh, I am 100% for that because night games in late fall get really damn cold and sun is better than not sun in those circumstances for me. Uh, but, but to some people that makes me a criminal, (laughs) please stick around. This is filibuster. We'll be right back. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United still have some work to do to lock up a postseason berth. They can help their case a lot this uh, Wednesday night with a win over Toronto FC at Audi Field. The Reds uh, come to Buzzard Point having been eliminated from playoff contention, but they still have uh, some guys in their lineup who you may have heard of who 
also have a history of killing DC United. Our friend Kristen Knowles from the Vocal Minority Podcast is back on the show to help us make sense of this game. Kristen, welcome back to Filibuster. Thank you. It's been ages and it's good to be back. It has. You you blew us off last time, but but we're glad you're here I now. You, I, I, I sent you Duncan. Like, wasn't it's he true. good night? <laughs> <laughs> you gave us a, a perfectly good Duncan, and we—I think we may have broken him. He's—he's he's generally a pretty adequate Duncan, and you know that 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 English expat, you know, that just lends the the legitimacy to the footy talk, does it not? It we we are Americans, and we watch soccer on television, so we are suckers for English accents, whether we want That's to awesome. be or not, and I we really don't want to be. <laughs> I won't tell him you said that. Kristen, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, you know what? I'm keeping it low-key tonight. It's kind of late. Uh, I got work in the morning, so I have a tall, refreshing glass of water. How okay. is the Toronto area water? Is it pretty decent? Actually, Toronto area water is really good. It's one of the... It's actually one of the best waters, municipal waters you can drink. It's incredibly... Uh, you know, it's tested and the whatever the water filtration system in city of Toronto, it's very good water. Are you stealing it from our lake? Probably. <laughs> I don't care how much of I don't care how much we divide the lake. It, it's our lake. Us being America. I don't know. It's but, Lake Ontario, so <laughs> I, I kind of feel like it's our lake. Yeah, it's, it's probably like our Ontario, lake. California. Yeah, <laughs> there. I mean, California takes all the rest of the water. Why not take That's Lake Ontario true. as well? Ben, I feel like you ask that question, and every time you do, it's uh, the the answer is you know it's actually really good tap water. And being here in DC, where I I, I everything goes through a filter on my sink or in my fridge, I, I, it just makes me sad. I'm nothing oh. if not consistent. We do not have the best tap water here in the district. Anyway, Kristen, as as you said over the summer, you, you sent us a, a perfectly adequate Duncan to uh, help us preview DC United's visit to BMO Field, and and we asked him what the the difference was between the uh, all singing, all dancing, all winning everything. Toronto FC of 2017 and the none of that Toronto FC of of 2018. A couple months further on, what can you tell us about the difference between last year and this year? Oh wow! Pick your pick your excuse. Um, injuries, <laughs> fatigue, uh, poor lineup choices, poor uh, signings, um, hubris. There's, they're all the right answer in different, in different quantities. Um, I think they really thought, I think I, hubris is a part of it. I think they really thought that they could overcome games like they did last year. I think they thought they could go into the hole early in the season and come back. And, and if they were the team they were last year, that would certainly be a part of it. Um, yes, injuries played a huge part of it. Uh, lack of Victor Vasquez played a huge part of it. Lack of Drew Moore uh, and Chris Mavinga really woefully exposed the fact that Eric Savaletta and Nick Hagland, who are both serviceable CBs, uh, are not the guys to lead your back line, especially 
um, not in front of Alex Bono, and that's not to, you know, malign the now U.S. international, um, but uh. he is not... He's not an organizer. He's not a keeper that organizes. He's a keeper that needs someone that organizes in front of him. Clint Irwin can organize a defense because, whatever, he's got a few years on him, although Clint Irwin is not that old. We always think he's much older than he is. But, um, you know, it just it just goes on and on and on. They're, they're letting Stephen Betashore go. Um, turned out to be a massive mistake. The bizarre... Again, letting go of Raheem Edwards, and then later on the summer, uh, Nico Hassler, uh, which uh, you're welcome, Chicago. Someday you'll be good again. It's uh, and then defensive players like the Edgar Akeche experiment. You know, and I feel bad for Edgar Akeche. Uh, you know, I hope he does well. You know where he is um, in uh, Cadiz, but. He's just not one of those players that could adapt to MLS, and he never really got a chance. You know, he kept getting put into lineups with academy kids and, and games that where they were meant to lose, you know, that Houston match. Oh, my God, that Houston match. Um, I still have nightmares about it. I still have. It's, it's, been, it's been six months. Um, yeah, it just there's, – there's a lot. There's a lot, but I think they it, – it all sort of snowballed in together, and – you can't hang it on just one thing, unfortunately. Uh, although I am really tired about hearing about fatigue. I, it, it is fatiguing to hear about huh. this over and over and over again. Um, you're not the only team in the world that doesn't get, you know, three months off in between seasons. Your professional athletes deal with it. And yes, I know losing the CCL and the way they lost it. And that was sure that that can be devastating. But again, this is your job. This is what you do. Um, you get over it. So they, they haven't looked sharp this year. And a lot of that has to do with random lineups, but you know, even in games when they had everybody in the Vancouver game is a good, uh, the game that officially finally um, got them out of the playoffs uh, was a really good example. That was yes. Josie Altidore was hurt, but everybody else was pretty much there and they looked they looked sad, you know, disinterested. Um, it's just, I could go on, and I'm so sorry I'm taking over the show talking about this. But you've seen players regress this year. Marky Delgado is a good example. Uh, he did That's not. That's U.S. International, Marky Delgado. Yeah, sorry, yes, U.S. International, Marky Delgado. Um, and, and I like Marky Delgado. I was a, I'm a big fan of his, and I really enjoyed watching him play, uh, you know, last year and the year before. But this year... Again, something's off. And, and you can say that about a number of players. There's only a couple that I would look at and say were consistent throughout the season. Um, you know, Justin Morrow, sorry, U.S. International Justin Morrow is one <laughs> of them. Um, your, your captain, uh, Michael Bradley, boo. Uh, do you guys want to do or no? Are you okay? Um, you know I what? Like I, we have so many feelings. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I have lots of feelings about Michael Bradley too. It has taken me like four years to say <laughs> nice things about him. Um, so, and then this year, and, he's just off. You finally but, say but, nice things about him, and he goes and just falls off. <laughs> but he was, yeah, yeah. But he was still one of the more consistent players, probably because he always plays. Um, but yeah, you know what? The the my 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 bright spot for this team is Lucas Lucas Hansen. 
I hope he's back next year. They need him to be back next year. He's delightful. Auro, um, also delightful. And was Gregory Lucas Hansen in the band? Yes. Yes, he's the older brother. <laughs> okay. I, he must be getting up there then. I assumed he must have been the younger one, the youngest one. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that answer can, keeps going on and on. So I'm going to stop talking now. You guys can ask me something else. So you mentioned some internationals. Uh, several of them will be missing for this one. Um, Marky Delgado's with the U.S. I think Juan Carlos Osorio's with the Canadian national team. Unless he's returned, I think Michael Bradley's still with the U.S. Sebastian Jovinko's with Italy. He might be back in time for this game, but I'm not totally sure. Add to all that, this Victor Vasquez is done for the year after having arthroscopic knee surgery. It was announced today as we record this. Who the hell is going to play midfield for you? <laughs> Jay Chapman. Just Jay Chapman. It's going to be a 6-1-3. Exactly. No, um, it should uh, <laughs> it should be uh, a couple other players who, yeah, unfortunately are probably not available right now. Um, it should be Jay Chapman for sure. Like, Jay Chapman needs to get um, some minutes because the poor guy, like, he's he's a solid player and he keeps sort of getting you know, bounced around um, with the squad in terms of whether he plays, whether or not, you know, he saw more playing time last year than he has this year. And this would seem like a good year for him to get uh, time. Um, Oh my God, where is he? Uh, Liam Frazier should be the other one. Um, Liam Frazier actually in the few games he's had this year has been very good. And he's a young player with a, a ton of uh, ton of ability on the ball. He's, he's very smart. He sees the field well and should have um, a good future. And like I said, he's only 20 years old. But he's been very impressive whenever he's played. Uh, so I would, expect, I would expect to see him. I would hope to see him. Um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, and it's a, it's a young midfield uh you know not exactly the most experienced midfield but you know who else is there there you know like the the, i don't think the canadian guys are going to get on a plane wednesday morning and fly to dc maybe they are but i doubt it um seba should be back he has it's not like he's it's not like he's played yeah i don't love that news yeah that's that's terrible news are you guys uh, honestly worried about about playing TFC right now? Like, really? I, I'm worried about Sebastian. Seba always beats us. He yeah. always beats us. <laughs> his his ability to just score three goals on DC United is just a given in in my life. So it's like, all right, DC should win this game, but are they going to score enough to deal with? Uh, you know, I, because I last like, time they scored three goals in the first half and it wasn't enough. Right. Um. Yeah, that game was. Uh, it feels like that game was six years ago, and it was like yes. a couple of months ago. Um, Kristen, I, I guess the first question when I asked you, you already mentioned um Lucas Jansen. Um, what is it? What is it about him that that adds to this team? Because they've got Giovinco, they've got Altador when he's healthy, they've got uh, Tosaint Ricketts. Um, what is what does this guy bring to the table that they don't? Um. So I, what I like about him so far is 
his he, he plays a he plays a solid two way game, so he he does defend a little bit. Um, but what I really like is his movement. He's always moving, and he's always looking for open spaces, and he's always looking for who has the ball or who he can give the ball to. And you know, he's not a hold up player like Josie because he's not he's not that big guy, and he's not you know he's 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 as crafty I think as Seba or has the potential to be. Um, you know, and I love him. I love him to bits. I've been so happy to have him with TFC, but Ricketts is not, you know, he's a sub guy. He's a bring him on late in the game because he's fast. He can tire people out. He's best when he is, you know, close to the box. He's your, you know, six yard guy. Like just he'll bash it in. He's not a long range shooter. Uh, Hanson has shown an ability to, um, you know, get on goal, at least from a good variety of places he's managed to forge a pretty solid partnership with Seba, which is always a difficulty, you know, like finding players who can play, who can play with him. They, they, they seem to actually like have some sort of chemistry. Um, and that's not always the case with, um, you know, say Jordan Hamilton or Ryan Telfer, whoever else they throw up top um, when other players are injured. So, and um yeah, I just I find he's got a good uh, a good intelligence when he's on the pitch. He seems to see things and read things fairly well, and uh, not afraid to go forward. I just I like him a lot, and really, really would like him back next year. Um, I, I guess I, I I have a question that's been um, brought up more than once now since the international call ups. I've heard this question talked about in the press box at Audi Field, um, okay. and that the, the the thinking down here is sort of across the board. Everyone agrees that um, because TFC's next game is against Montreal um, <laughs> and the hope uh, from, from those of us that are by openly biased and, and uh, the speculation from, from the neutrals in the press box um, would be that TFC would love to finish Montreal season off um, yeah. and they could, they could do it by losing to DC and then beating Montreal. Um how much, I mean, when, when, you know, here in DC, especially for the, the, the older DC fans that have seen this happen more than once where they've seen, you know, the team has been great. And then the very next year is terrible and there's no transition period. It's just straight off the cliff. Um, how much would that be like one little grace note to go out on to, to take the impact out? So here's, here's what we want to have happen over the next three games. We, we, we recorded our show, um, yesterday uh we did a rare sunday show so um we would like you guys to win on wednesday okay um we obviously want to beat montreal on sunday and then the following sunday what we're hoping is see we've got atlanta we've got the AU guys and the energy drinks who are you know vying for the supporter shield also to take toronto fc's points record away from them bastards um (laughs) so Atlanta's next match is at home against the fire. So what the fuck? Um, and so <laughs> they win, yeah, pretty much. when they win, when they win, that will put them at 69 points, which is Toronto's record. Then they play Toronto, Toronto's last home game. So what we want is to win that game and at least be deny them the record in the hopes that whoever uh, the Red Bulls are playing, Philadelphia and 
maybe the rev, which is, again, not very helpful, but they're one point back. So as long as we can stop Montreal from getting playoffs and Atlanta from taking our points record, we at the Vocal Minority Podcast can consider that a job well done. And plus, being, you know... Oh, no, no, you guys, you guys, you guys, yeah, you guys in the playoffs. I, I believe I actually said that you were probably going to win MLS Cup. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's the Vocal Minority Podcast. Uh, Normally I would re- respond, don't don't put that kind of pressure on us, but Wayne Rooney has us all liking being under pressure now, I guess, at least according <laughs> to reports. So, um, sure. <laughs> so there you go. Um. I guess that I kind of, I almost forgot this question, but I kind of in asking the last one, it reminded me um, what, how is, how is the fan base handling this? Cause like as much as in, in the past in DC, like 1999, they won MLS cup. They'd on that, at that point had won eight trophies in four seasons. And then the next year was just absolutely terrible, but there was a salary cap and forced, uh, change to the the roster that was, you know, you kind of sensed that the team wasn't going to be as good. So at least you had some pre- preparation. TFC fans did not get any sort of preparation. It was like, yeah, it, here's the roster. It's a bunch of guys. We added uh, a guy with Netherlands caps to the squad and a promising Brazilian. So everything should be great. And then 2018 happened. It, how are people handling it? You know, it's, um, it's, it's been a little weird. It's been, it's been weird for us and it's been, for most people, I don't know anybody that is really looking to. I don't think there's many people that are looking to walk away. A, a couple, I think, um, who have said, you know, oh, I'm done with this team, and you know, the CPL is coming, so they're just going to switch loyalties. But a lot of us, Ted, even at the beginning of the season, and, and yes, they they lost the CCL on 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 kicks, but like we trade this season for them winning that because, you know, we've won MLS cup. We've won the supporter shield. Um, we continue to win Voyager's cups, which keeps us in the CCL. And the CCL is, you know, like that's, that's kind of the promised land, right? Like that's the next step. No MLS team has done it. Um, no Canadian team has come closer. We're not the only Canadian team who's done a final. Um, but Yes, as disappointing as it is, and it was, and it's a bizarre season. It's weird to look back at it as a fan. I'm not near. I'm not nearly as angry as I thought I'd be. I've been far angrier at at Toronto FC, um, and, and not surprising considering what we've been through over 12 seasons. But <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing. Like it's kind of like, oh, you know, they 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 should have at least made the playoffs. Like that's. The fact that they didn't, that's that's probably the angry part is like, really, like, even with everything that's happened to you, you guys should have still made the fucking playoffs. But um, I think most people are like, well, you know what? Look what we did. Well, look what we did, you know, two years running. Look at all the stuff we accomplished. We're going to have a chunk of this team back next year. This will be the first year in like three years where we've had serious offseason tur- turnover, I think. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I think most fans are kind of like, you know, yes, the season kind of sucked, but we have a lot of good things to look back at. And we came within a kick of winning, you know, CONCACAF Champions League. 
I think for most people, or at least of the of the hardcore the hardcore fan base, I think that's how we look at it. And I think that's good enough is the wrong phrase, but you know, we will build off of that and we have CCL to look forward to again next year. And, you know, this, and this year, this year on proper rest, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I don't sense, you know, anytime I see Vanny out or something, it's reactionary people who just like to say that about everything. Um, he's not going anywhere unless he gets lured away. But, uh, no, you know what? It's it could be far worse. They they've they've done far worse, and maybe I'll be angrier during the off season. Who knows? But I'm just more like ah, you know, like I'm just like I said, I'm disappointed. And but I'll be back next year. So you're like a soccer dad. I, I, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Exactly. It's almost worse, isn't it? <laughs> so I was just I was reading up on some stats and. Uh, it it looks like Sebastian Giovinco has a has had a very solid year on paper with twelve yep. goals and fourteen assists, but it seems like Victor Vasquez may have been the difference maker based on the uh, team's record with him in the lineup and with him out of the lineup. So, who do you think is the TFC MVP for this year? Oh, good Lord. Um, like Vasquez hardly played. So it's, and and I love Victor Vasquez. I, from almost his very first game last year, I was, I was sold. You know, I was, I was all in on this guy. Um, and I love watching him play. Like, you know, he's a, he's a more mobile Benoit Cheru. He's a goal scoring Benoit Cheru, right? Um, <laughs> And I, you know, if he played more, then I would probably give it to him. This is, you know what, for a large chunk of this year, it's actually Jonathan Osorio. Yeah. Because Osorio has, you know, you know, he had since for like the last 12 to 14 months has elevated his game so astonishingly. Um, now, and I said this a lot throughout this season on many a podcast, the fact that for a good chunk of the season, Jonathan Osorio was the team's leading scorer. And that's not a good thing. It does not reflect well on your team, no matter how well he's playing, that Jonathan Osorio is your team's leading scorer. That's just wrong. But that is the case that through many games, and again, he was one of the few players that stayed healthy all season and sort of helped fill a void in a lot of cases, um, I, I would actually put it between him and Seba. And yeah, Seba didn't have the year you would want maybe, but I kind of like, I like playmaking Seba. I like the Seba that sets up others um, and doesn't try to put every game on his back. Cause when he does this year, anyway, it almost always goes horribly wrong. And, right. and then he gets angry and petulant and bad things happen. So I would, yeah, toss up between Seba or Oso. And I know you all don't care as much about this, but since we are in America, we care about the Americans on your team. Uh, what, what, what has, what, why, why did you break our Americans? 
Oh, whatever. How was our broken? We didn't break him. I know, yeah. Jurgen and Bruce broke them. We healed him for a good year, and we look what we did, and then he broke again. And We're sorry. He drank too much after the cup? I don't know. <laughs> Where's he going next year? That's a very good question. Uh, he apparently thinks he's going somewhere that's not Toronto, which is... Um, which is too bad if it's true. Um, obviously, you know, many of the conversations we have about who, who are you willing to give up or who do you absolutely want back next year? And out of the three DTs, um, I actually said Michael Bradley, which surprised me. Let me tell you that. Um, I feel like Michael Bradley I, is the one willing to stay, though. I feel like Josie has always had higher aspirations. Josie Josie likes it here, man. Like Josie likes Toronto. He's got a good life here, right? So um, he's got a fan base that's pretty, for the most part, behind him. I actually find Michael Bradley far more divisive, you know, even under our amongst our fan base um, than Josie is. Josie is pretty close to universal love. So, um, but. Yeah, that, 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 the comments he made after the Vancouver game was like, oh, okay. So if he's going somewhere, is he going somewhere else in MLS? Or is he going overseas? Is the big question. Right. Um, and I have to say, like, who else in MLS is going to pay him that kind of money? Yeah, I mean, the rumors I've heard is Spain. Yeah, and that's, that's sort of what I've heard as well. Which wouldn't surprise me. Um, I don't know how much, you know, you know, his, his kid and his girlfriend, I don't know how much that would tie him to North America. Because he does have that aspect, you know, like her, her life is more global, but he does have, he does have a child, right? So sometimes that's a consideration for players, no matter how old they are. You know, Josie's still a young guy, but who knows? Um yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a weird situation. I don't see a case in where all three of them come back next year. Do you think could you all think three Giovinco, of them go? Yeah, do you think Giovinco um, leaves? I think so. I think there's a very good chance that believes. Is there which, still again, interest in Mexico for him? Depends on which rumor mill you believe. <laughs> um, I'm sure there is because I I honestly I think he could do very well there. I think the the style of game, the pace of game suits him. Um, I, I, I yeah, he could probably think... score like 30 goals in Mexico. Yeah. Oh yeah. Easily. But I, I don't think, um, I don't think we see all three go. I know someone was saying to me that last week, Oh, you know, like Michael Bradley's going to go, go play with his dad, uh, for zombie Shivas. But I don't know about that. I don't know that I believe that. And again, Michael's built, a very strong life for him and his family here. Right. So again, players get a bit older, like that, that is a consideration. And I think he's, you know, he's, he's the captain of the team, but he's always been quite involved in this team since they brought him on. Like he's more involved, you know, he, he gets involved behind the scenes and stuff and um, for good or for ill, you know, in, in the first few years, that was, that did not sit well with, with many, myself included. I didn't like how involved he was, but you have to look at it in terms of whether he's willing to move on or whether they're willing to part with him. 
Um, but I think, yeah, I think one or both of Sever and Josie are, are not back here next year. So the big question is who replaces them. And the next big question is, uh, does Victor Vasquez somehow manage to stick around for another year? And I think that's also a big possibility that he doesn't. So it's going to be a weird off season. And we didn't mean to break Drew Moore. That wasn't our fault. We well, he's, he's old. He was bound to break anyway. We won't blame you for that one. Okay. Because we love him. We gave you back Stephen Bateshaw. Well, he's not yours. He's, he's our own. But. Yeah, we were we were a little disappointed in that fact, actually, before the season. <laughs> and at various points during the season. Uh, yeah. Refocusing back to the game on Wednesday. Uh, yeah. Put yourself across from Greg Vanny. How would you game plan against the Reds? Oh, dear God. Um, don't let Wayne Rooney do anything with the ball. Don't let Darren Maddox. The hell? How did you fix Darren Maddox? <laughs> you know, we, we also fixed O'Neill Fisher. DC United, except for the injury to O'Neill Fisher. Uh, DC United, huge, huge fans of uh, the reggae boys, apparently. Like, seriously? Just 10 goals. <laughs> As a 27-year-old, career high. I can't even like wrap my head around this, that Darren Maddox is your top goal scorer. It's bizarre. Although Rooney's closing um, in. Assad is closing in. Lucho yeah, and, and, closing in. And Lucho, Lucho, yeah, exactly. Like, so, so, yeah, suddenly you, you, all these guys are you know, firing on all cylinders. Oh, good. I'm so happy. <laughs> so- <laughs> So if you're on well, if you're on Ben Olsen's staff helping prepare against TFC, what are you focusing on? Where what what weaknesses are you are you trying to exploit? What strengths are you trying to uh, prevent? Uh, you're trying to exploit the the defense if Chris Mavinga is not there, um, because if Chris Mavinga is not there to help marshal the younger defenders. Or if Michael Bradley has to play center back again, uh, you you want to go straight straight down the middle, like go straight at them. Um, you want to hope that uh, Arrow and uh, Justin Morrow have an off night because Arrow is actually the one you probably worry about and maybe want to avoid because he's got uh, he's faster than Justin Morrow and. Um, has a very strong two-way game. And since he's come back from injury, has looked like his old self. Uh, try to provoke Seba. That's always a good a good thing. And, you know, a uh, little nudge here, a little nudge there. He'll get pissed off. He'll do something stupid. Um, and set pieces, because Toronto right now can't defend a set piece to save its life. You want right, to contain we'll Lucas Hansen. <laughs> just give him a guitar or a drum let him go <laughs> Kristen tell our listeners if you would where they can find you online uh, you can find me at KZ Knowles on the Twitter machine uh, and you can also find my ramblings at the Vocal Minority Podcast vocalminority.ca and uh, yeah it's uh, good luck um I know I rarely wish for my team to lose, but I truly am enjoying your, your, your rise from the bottom. And, uh, 
you know, we have a soft spot for you guys. So Wayne Rudy, notwithstanding, um, seriously, guys, uh, good luck. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I do hope you win this game because I want you to win the second cup. Us too. I can, I can assure you that. And we would love for you to put Montreal out of their misery just to, so you can salvage yeah, something from this be. season. So this is something for everybody. Look how well this is working out. <laughs> there you go. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, patreon.com slash filibuster is the virtual place to do that. Uh, we're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at black and red you for the website, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com run iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the podcatcher of your choice. Find us, rate us, review us, do whatever you will there. Just if it's really bad, don't tell me about it afterwards. Mostly though, please just tell a friend about the show, whether it is in the club section or outside of Audi field or at a bar or just a random person on the street wearing DC United gear, you know, be that extra friendly, crazy person and tell them about this podcast you heard. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. And you know, you'll get an interesting story about it out of it. Probably. Thanking Kristen once again for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. 8 p.m. is the only good kickoff time. You're a monster. <laughs> <laughs>